Greetings. Thank you all for returning to this week's new study episode titled, God's Suffering Servants, Part 1. I am Pastor John, welcoming our returning global audience of unchurched, self-study people, as well as those who are part of a church. For anyone looking for greater depths in God's Word with a stronger personal study, we also extend a warm welcome to all our new listeners here for the first time. Thank you all for listening. May you all be blessed of God. Our episode last week, Living by Faith, Not by Sight, Part 2, was posted on October 29th. In that episode, we noted that one cannot assume to be saved of Christ since salvation is wholly of grace. Saved of Christ, our salvation in Him, requires us to sincerely ask Him for it. If we are truly sincere in our asking for salvation, we then receive it regardless of how dark our sinful past is. We also noted of Paul that he was not dejected, cast down, disheartened, or discouraged. Paul was patient in his trials. He was diligent in his calling. Further still, Paul was full of hope. He had a confident expectation of heaven. This filled Paul with cheerfulness and joy. Can any of us say that we exhibit such behavior when we face our own difficulties, however we view them, compared to Paul? Today, when we run into temptations, trials, and tribulations, we experience dejectedness, we are cast down, we are disheartened, and or we are discouraged. Yes, any combination of all those issues, or sometimes we fall deeply into one or two of them. Even today, we have our own sufferings, yet where is the hope, the confident expectation of heaven, the cheerfulness we are to be filled with, and our joy? It seems that we cannot find in our lives what Paul found in his that allowed to find out more. Listen to our previous episode titled, Living by Faith, Not by Sight, Part 2, posted on October 29th. This week, our study is titled, God's Suffering Servants, Part 1. Just what are God's servants suffering? What can they possibly be doing in vain? Our scripture passage this week reads, now, because we are fellow workers, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, I heard you at the acceptable time, and in the day of salvation I helped you. Look, now is the acceptable time. Look, now is the day of salvation. We do not give anyone an occasion for talking an offense in anything, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as God's servants, we have commended ourselves in every way with great endurance in persecutions, 
in difficulties, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in riots, in troubles, in sleepless nights, in hunger, by purity, by knowledge, by patience, by benevolence, by the Holy Spirit, by genuine love, by truthful teaching, by the power of God, with weapons of righteousness both for the right hand and for the left, through glory and dishonor, through slander and praise, regarded as impostors and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and yet see. We continue to live as those who are scourged and yet not executed, as scornful but always rejoicing, as poor but making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart has been opened wide to you. Our affection for you is not restricted, but you are restricted in your affections for us. Now, as a fair exchange, I speak as to my children, open wide your hearts to us also. From 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. Now, let's start at the beginning by reading verse 1 again. Now, because we are fellow workers, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Just how can one receive the grace of God in vain? Some fairly long commentary may give us the answer. The apostle, having given a commendation of the gospel in the latter part of the preceding chapter, does in this address the ministers of it that were at Corinth under the character of fellow laborers and by way of entreaty that they would be careful to make it appear that they had not received neither the gospel of the grace of God nor gifts to minister it in vain and in proof of the gospel being a ministry of reconciliation and a doctrine of free grace and salvation which carry in them so many arguments why it should not be received in vain. By, quote, the grace of God, end quote, it is not meant that the grace of God is regeneration, an effectual calling, which can never be received in vain. For the grace of God never fails to produce a thorough work of conversion, nor is it ever lost, but is strictly connected with eternal glory. But by it is meant either the doctrine of grace, the gospel of Christ, so called because it is a declaration of the love and grace of God to sinners, ascribes salvation in part and in whole to the free grace of God and is a means of implanting and increasing grace in the hearts of men. Now, this may be received in vain by ministers and people when it is but notionally received 
or received in word only, when it is abused and perverted to vile purposes, and when men drop it, deny it, and fall off of it, or else, by the grace of God, may be designed gifts of grace, qualifying for ministerial service, and the sense of the exhortation be that they be careful that the gifts bestowed on them might not be neglected by them, but be used and improved to the advantage of the church and the glory of Christ by giving up themselves to study, meditation, and prayer by laboring constantly in the word and doctrine, and by having a strict regard to their lives and conversations, that the ministry be not blamed, which exhortation he pursues in, and by his own example and others, in some following verses. From the New John Gill's Exposition of the Entire Bible John Gill said two very important things we need to note. First, for the grace of God never fails of producing a thorough work of conversion, nor is it ever lost, but is strictly connected with eternal glory, but by it is meant either the doctrine of grace, the gospel of Christ, so called, because it is a declaration of the love and grace of God to sinners, ascribes salvation in part and in whole to the free grace of God, and is a means of implanting and increasing grace in the hearts of men. We want to note four very distinct things that John Gill wrote. The grace of God never fails to produce a thorough work of conversion. This solves the quandary of losing one's salvation, for in that quandary there is any number of any possible reasons one may be distracted with questions in their mind. Our salvation, our conversion, is never lost in any way not even in the passing of time, meaning it is never a case of what happened in the past being gone. It is not gone. It has just fallen out of use, which is not a good thing. The work of conversion is never lost and is, too, strictly connected with eternal glory. Note further that the doctrine of grace the gospel of Christ is a declaration of love and grace of God to sinners. It ascribes salvation both in part and in whole by the free grace of God. Secondly, now this may be received in vain by ministers and people when it is but notionally received or received in word only, when it is abused and perverted to vile purposes, and when men drop it, deny it, and fall off from it. That was a single, but very powerful statement for us all to notice. Regardless of whether we are presently 
in a leadership position or just church-attending people. Either can receive the salvation of God in vain, whether notionally received or received in word only. When the gift of salvation is used in an abusive fashion and or perverted to be for vile purposes, it in no way reflects true salvation and true Christianity. When men and women drop salvation, deny salvation, and fall off from it, their true salvation is in question if the grace of God fails of producing a thorough work of conversion. God's work of salvation is not flawed in any way. It fully depends on a true heart as to whether one is truthfully saved in Christ or not. Here we find greater understanding. Ministers are workers together with God, as well as with one another. They are subordinate instruments working with Him, but not coordinate causes producing with Him the work of conversion in the souls of men, not as if they could communicate any power of strength to the working of grace by the preaching of the Word. From Expository Notes with Practical Observations on the New Testament by William Burkett. This means finding notoriety as a minister is of no godly use in relating the true work of salvation to men and women who are unsaved. Making millions of dollars is not where any minister's desires should be. Building a church empire, again, is not where a minister's desire should be. The reason? Notice what William Burkett said. Ministers are workers together with God as well as with one another. Where in that can anyone find any reason for great and well-known media-based ministers with multi-million dollar television shows where they always have something to sell their viewers? Many sell such items with the fact that God will do something positive in the buyer's life, of which can nowhere be found in Scripture as truthful. This is also done on radio and the Internet. Now, the question is valid to ask. Is the motivation behind them true or sourced in a colored form of greed? Questions like this, if not answered here, will be answered before Christ at the judgment seat or Bema seat judgment. Is that something you want to be accountable for? I don't think you do. Verse 2 reads, For he says, I heard you at the acceptable time, and in the day of salvation I helped you. Look, now is the acceptable time. Look, now is the day of salvation. The quoted portions in verse 2 are sourced here in Isaiah. Thus has the Lord said, In an acceptable time, I have heard thee, 
and in the day of saving health I have helped thee, and I will preserve thee and give thee for a covenant of people, that thou might awaken the earth, that thou might inherit the desolate heritages. Isaiah chapter 49 verse 8 from English Jubilee 2000 Bible. To better explain these words, we read, Because Christ has identified himself with Israel, these words will also become true for the people who, in their restored state, are in fellowship with him. The fact that Christ has been made a covenant of the people, quote-unquote, points to the new covenant that will soon be made with Israel. That covenant is new and better because it is based on the work of the Lord Jesus on the cross and rests on the power of his shed blood, the blood of the new covenant. From King Common's Commentary on the Whole Bible. This helps us see even better where these quoted words in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 actually reside in Scripture. It also gives us a better understanding of this verse. Therefore, we should note, there is a twofold day of salvation. The one was Christ's day for the purchase of salvation. The other is our duty for the application. From Expository Notes with Practical Observation on the New Testament by William Burkett. The day of salvation is easy to understand as being Christ's day for the purchase of salvation. However, the second is not so clear to us. It is our day to recognize our duty for the application. This refers to our work and attitude for and to Christ. To clarify this point better, behold, now is our accepted time. Now is our day of salvation. Let us prize it highly and improve it faithfully. Tis a day that is but a short space of time. Tis a day and therefore continually spending. Tis a day, therefore, when once gone is irrecoverably gone. Our working day is a wasting day. Tis a day, and that will be followed with a night, in which none can work, but only lament their folly in not working. Behold, then, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. From Expository Notes with Practical Observations on the New Testament by William Burkett. Note specifically this portion of that commentary passage. Behold, now is our accepted time. Now is our day of salvation. Let us prize it highly and improve it faithfully. That alone is a full-time job for us today. However, it is not to be ignored. Why? Not yesterday, not tomorrow, 
But now is our accepted time. Now is our day of salvation. Let us prize it highly. Meaning, we cannot simply be saved in Christ, by Christ, and leave it at that. As we have already seen, our salvation cannot be received in vain. Even though we can do that, as you can see, it is highly discouraged. Remember the judgment seat before Christ? No one should desire to have to explain such actions to Christ on that day. Verse 3 reads, We do not give anyone an occasion for taking an offense in anything, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. The nature and quality of the work which the ambassadors of Christ are called to and do labor in, a ministry, it is the standing duty of all the ministers of Christ so to perform their ministerial office, that they give no just offense in anything to any person, that so the ministry committed to them may not be blamed. We must give no offense by our words and speeches in common conversation, no offense by unsound doctrine, by personal reflections, no offense by gross, careless, and negligent omissions, or by rude and irreverent indecencies, or by any affected singularities in our administrations, but especially give no offense by a bad life and scandalous conversation. From Expository Notes with Practical Observations on the New Testament by William Burkett. There are two reasons why people will act with these egregious and offensive actions. One, they have just received Christ as their Lord and Savior and now need to learn a new way of life. Two, they say they are saved in Christ when in fact they are not. They cloud their actions with a reminder that none of us are perfect. A true fact, but not an excuse for doing things that negatively affect others. Instead of asking for forgiveness, they simply fall back on not being perfect and move on. That is so not good. Notice the ministry or instrumentally to which the gospel was entrusted, including probably here the whole body of believers. From John S.C. Abbott and Jacob Abbott, Illustrated New Testament, 1878. If you are a television personality, a radio personality, and or an internet personality preaching the gospel, remember, it is entrusted to you by God. Notice further, the word rendered offense means properly stumbling, then offense, or cause of offense a falling into sin. 
The meaning here is, quote, giving no occasion for contempt or rejecting the gospel, end quote. And the idea of Paul is that he and his fellow apostles so labored as that no one who saw or knew them should have occasion to reproach the ministry or the religion which they preached, but so that in their pure and self-denying lives the strongest argument should be seen for embracing it. From Barnes' New Testament Notes. Now, verse 4 reads, For as God's servants we have commended ourselves in every way with great endurance, in persecutions, in difficulties, in distresses. Hama. This means what an approved minister must do and endure in order to be obtaining the ends of his ministry. If he be called to it, he must bear up against all discouragements and encounter all oppositions. Let the way be what it will, fair or foul, a green carpet way or dirty poachy way. He must stick to nothing, but go through thick and thin, patiently enduring afflictions of all sorts and cheerfully undergoing sufferings of all kinds and encouraging all manner of self-denial for the gospel's sake. From Expository Notes with Practical Observations on the New Testament by William Burkett. This is why James wrote, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, because you know that we will be judged more strictly, for we all stumble in many ways. If someone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect individual, able to control the entire body as well. And if we put bits into the mouths of horses to get them to obey us, then we guide their entire bodies. Look at ships, too. Though they are so large and driven by harsh winds, they are steered by a tiny rudder wherever the pilot's inclination directs. So, too, the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it has great pretensions. Think how small a flame sets a huge forest ablaze, and the tongue as a fire. The tongue represents the world of wrongdoing among the parts of our bodies. It pollutes the entire body and sets fire to the course of human existence and is set on fire by hell. We especially want to notice verse 1, even though I gave you the context. Verse 1 reads, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, because you know that we will be judged more strictly. This caution is still necessary. There are multitudes whom God has never called and never can call 
because he has never qualified them for the work, who earnestly wish to get into the priest's office, and of this kind in opposition to St. James, we have many masters, persons who undertake to show us the way of salvation, who know nothing of that ways and are unsaved themselves. These are found among all descriptions of Christians and have been the means of bringing the ministerial office into contempt. Their case is awful. They shall receive greater condemnation than common sinners. They have not only sinned in thrusting themselves into that office to which God has never called them, but through their insufficiency, the flocks over whom they have assumed the mastery perish for the lack of knowledge, and their blood will God require at the watchman's hand. From Adam Clark's Commentary and Critical Notes on the Bible. In closing, there are four points we want to learn from Adam Clark's Commentary and Critical Notes. 1. We have many masters, persons who undertake to show us the way of salvation, who know nothing of those ways and are unsaved themselves. I think that comment is self-explanatory and well understood. 2. These are found among all descriptions of Christians and have been the means of bringing the ministerial office into contempt. Simply put, these are found among all Christians around the world. No matter where you go, you can find these people bringing the ministry of the gospel through their office to contempt. 3. Their case is awful. They shall receive greater condemnation than common sinners. This is because teachers or ministers of the gospel put themselves into this greater condemnation by ministering, teaching, or both. This is why teaching is discouraged in James chapter 3. 4. They have not only sinned in thrusting themselves into that office to which God has never called them, but through their insufficiency, the flocks over whom they have assumed the mastery perish for the lack of knowledge, and their blood will God require at the watchman's hand. Item 4 tells us that a person has sinned twice by first thrusting themselves into that office to which God has never called them. Secondly, through their insufficiency, the flocks over whom they have assumed the mastery perish for the lack of knowledge. Next week, our episode is titled, God's Suffering Servants, Part 2. We will learn in labors with our own hands to provide for ourselves the necessaries of life. What does this say about preachers, teachers, and ministers 
who use modern technologies to further their bank accounts. Does this mean that one should work in a worldly business or for themselves and also preach, teach, or minister to others? To find out more, join us next week. Play or download our episodes from one of our podcast hosts. Or follow direct links to these platforms on our website under the podcast menu item. Details follow. All Bible quotes without a citation are from the New English Translation Free Version. We greatly appreciate our audience. We look forward to the return of all our faithful listeners, followers, and new listeners. Thank you all so much. We are very pleased to serve a diverse international audience. Please share our podcast with family, friends, and others you believe would find it a blessing. This study podcast is a wholly self-funded outreach presented by the Church of the Unchurched, currently an all-electronic Boston-based outreach uniting the community of lost, searching, lonely, and forgotten in Christ. If you are visiting for the first time, welcome and God bless you. If you are unsaved, we truly hope you find God as well as receiving Him as Lord and Savior of your life. Please find a short link to our episode titled, How to be Saved, at the bottom of any episode description. To learn more about us and who we are, give our episode titled, Introduction, About Us, Who We Are, a listen. In that episode, you will learn more about us, who we are reaching out to, our mission, vision, ministry, and more. Again, a short link to this episode is found at the bottom of any episode description. Find our website at https colon forward slash forward slash the church of the unchurched dot o r g please type the Church of the Unchurched as a single word with no hyphen or spaces in unchurched. Our mobile, tablet, and desktop compliant website has more information, links to many of our podcast platforms under the podcast menu item. We are found on podcast platforms like iTunes, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, and Spotify, to name a few. We refresh all our feeds with every weekly episode upload on Sundays, East Coast Time, USA. These sites update our feed within 24 hours of our refresh. Our RSS feed is syndicated on many popular podcast RSS feed platforms, Find us on a preferred platform to follow us as we continue to grow. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be glory forever. Amen. Until next week, this is Pastor John for the Church of the Unchurched.